Welcome to the Wellness Within podcast. We are a nonprofit wellness center for patients, survivors, caregivers, and families affected by the trauma of cancer. We provide a wide range of services that enhance an individual's ability to experience quality of life. And we believe that everyone should have access to our programs and conversations, which are offered freely to ensure that no one is ever denied the support they need. If you find inspiration in what we share, we invite you to consider supporting Wellness Within through a donation. Your generosity enables us to continue offering these valuable resources to our community. To make a donation and contribute to the well-being of those facing cancer, please visit our website at wellnesswithin.org or click the link in the episode description. Your support makes a difference. So thank you for being a vital part of our mission. Together, we empower whole person well-being, bridging gaps, and reconnecting to what is most meaningful. I think it's really dismissive and also irresponsible to tell a patient that their cognitive complaints are quote-unquote just stress because it implies that their complaints aren't valid and it also doesn't really help them to know what to do about it. Welcome to Wellness Within. We would like to thank Koinonia Family Services, Consolidated Communications, and Merchants Bank of Commerce, who in part sponsor this podcast. Join us for relaxing meditations and enlivening conversations about topics that support wellness in the presence of cancer. To access our class schedule, to make a donation, or to sign up for our newsletter, please visit wellnesswithin.org. Hello and welcome to the Wellness Within podcast. This is Stevie Hannacole, and today we're honored to be joined by Dr. Shelley Kessler. Dr. Kessler is a cognitive neuroscientist and associate professor in both the School of Nursing and the Department of Diagnostic Medicine at Dell Medical School at the University of Texas at Austin. She is the director of the Cancer Neuroscience Laboratory and also the co-chair of Survivorship and Supportive Care Research for the Live Strong Cancer Institutes. We're honored to have her join us today to discuss the topic of chemo brain. So she's going to talk about what it is, why it occurs, and she'll also dispel some of those common myths around chemo brain, as well as provide some tips that survivors can do to improve their cognitive function after treatment. So welcome, Dr. Kessler. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Stevie. It's, it's my pleasure to be here. We are so excited to have you here with us. And to start our conversation, will you share a little bit more about you and the work that you do? Of course. As you mentioned, I'm a cognitive neuroscientist, which is a combination of a psychologist and a neuroscientist. And I study how the brain produces cognitive functions like memory, thinking, and attention, among others. And I'm especially interested in how cancer treatments disrupt these processes by changing the brain's organization. And I direct a laboratory here at UT Austin where we use brain imaging to investigate what happens when patients undergo chemotherapy, especially. And we use the brain imaging in a variety of ways. We combine it with machine learning to diagnose cancer-related cognitive problems and also to predict 
which patients are at highest risk for having them. And we also use brain imaging to help assess whether certain interventions for cancer-related cognitive problems are effective. Wow, this is important work. Absolutely. So delving into it then, what is chemo brain and also why and how does this occur? Well, the term chemo brain refers to cognitive and other neurologic symptoms that patients experience after undergoing chemotherapy treatment. And it's actually a a colloquial term for cancer-related cognitive impairment. So chemotherapy is believed to be one of the causes of cognitive issues, but radiation, surgery, hormone therapies, other medications those can all also contribute to the issue. So chemo brain's not an entirely accurate label, but it's sort of the first one that came up for patients they noticed after the chemo is when it was especially problematic. And we do see that, that patients who have chemo often have it worse than patients who don't get chemo. We're not completely certain yet why it occurs, but Research studies suggest it might be because of injury to the brain cells from the chemotherapy, either directly from the chemo or some of the indirect effects that chemo has. You know, chemos are are pretty toxic drugs. They're designed to kill the cancer cells, which is what we want, but they don't discriminate very well between cancer cells and healthy cells. Unfortunately, we have a lot more healthy cells than we have cancer cells, but that damage that is caused to the healthy cells can, can cause some side effects. And, you know, many chemotherapies target what are called rapidly dividing cells because that's what cancer cells tend to be. But there are areas in the brain and also throughout the body where new cells are continually forming. So those cells are also vulnerable to chemotherapies. And then I mentioned some indirect effects as well. So chemotherapy increases inflammation and also what's called oxidative stress. And those are both toxic to brain cells. So those are some of the reasons why we think it's probably happening, but there's still a lot more research to be done to try and figure out exactly what the mechanisms are. That makes sense. So what are some of the most common symptoms and also like how long do they typically last after treatment too? So the symptoms can really vary depending on the individual patient, but the most common ones that we see are difficulties with problem solving, paying attention, learning new information, or even remembering things from before, especially short-term memory. You know, a lot of patients tell me I go into the room and I don't remember why I was there, or I am going about to do something and I lose track of what I was doing. Uh, Word finding, so trying to think of the word that you want to say becomes really difficult. Also just feeling slow, slower than before in terms of your thinking or getting lost easily in what you're trying to say or what you're trying to do. And in terms of how long they last, so again, that can really vary depending on the person and what their disease stage and and where they are in their course of, of treatment and survivorship, but they can last a few months or sometimes many years depending on the person. So it's really 
kind of a broad range. And unfortunately, some patients are still dealing with it, you know, 10 years later, 20 years later. Wow. And are there some patients then are, that are more susceptible than others? We think there are certain aspects that might create an increased vulnerability. Certainly patients with more intensive disease because then they get more intensive treatment regimens. And also patients who have been less mentally and physically active in the past. So they have what we call lower cognitive reserve, you know, just that buildup that you have from being more mentally and physically active throughout your lifetime. You just have more of a reserve to call upon when something happens to your brain. And so we think that those patients are, are a little more vulnerable. And then there are also just normal genetic variations that we all have. They're not genetic abnormalities at all. They're just, we're all different. And there are some genetic makeups that can make you more vulnerable to certain things. And so we have found a couple of those that look like they might be risk factors. And it also seems like many survivors that I've spoken to, you know, chemo brain may have never really been addressed either by their care team, or maybe in other cases, the term seems to be somewhat misconstrued somehow. So I was wondering, what are some of those common myths and themes you've seen around chemo brain? Well, one of the biggest myths is that it's not even possible because people said, you know, this can't, it can't possibly be the chemo because chemotherapy doesn't cross the blood brain barrier. And that is the blood brain barrier is something, a physiological mechanism that helps keep toxins and pathogens out of our brains. And it's true that many chemotherapies are restricted from the brain, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're 100% completely kept out of the brain. That's, that's not how it works. And there are studies that have shown that small amounts of chemotherapy do get in. And we also know that the blood-brain barrier becomes weaker with age and when you're sick, which both describe a patient who has cancer. And also certain chemotherapies can make the blood-brain barrier weaker. We've shown that even these very small amounts of chemotherapy that get in can cause death to brain cells. And other researchers have shown that it can suppress new brain cells from forming. So even a very little bit of chemotherapy can go a long way. So that myth that it's not possible because of the blood-brain barrier is just not supported by the evidence. And I'd say the second biggest myth about chemobrain is that it's quote unquote, just stress. And many, many patients have told me that this is what they were told when they presented with cognitive complaints. And we have shown, and other groups have shown this repeatedly, that cognitive difficulties exist even in patients who don't have significant distress or when we control for distress. And that's not to say that distress symptoms aren't involved because they do tend to co-occur and it makes sense because cancer is a very stressful situation and anxiety and depression can certainly make cognitive problems worse and cognitive problems tend to increase a person's anxiety and depression but i think it's really dismissive and also irresponsible to tell a patient that their cognitive complaints are quote unquote just stress because it implies that their complaints aren't valid 
And it also doesn't really help them to know what to do about it. I think it also partially reflects some health disparities with respect to female gender. So women with breast cancer were and have been the largest driving force behind the notion of chemo brain. And women are more often dismissed for such complaints compared to men. And women do tend to report symptoms of anxiety and depression more often than men, but this doesn't mean that every complaint women have is explained by distress. And so it's important for patients with cognitive complaints to get a proper evaluation from a neurologist or a neuropsychologist to determine what might be contributing to the cognitive problems, including but not limited to any distress that they are experiencing. So I'd say those are, are the two biggest myths that really impact a patient's getting care during survivorship for cognitive complaints. What I also picked up in that is just how important it sounds like validating their experience of chemo brain is. Like that validation part, it seems really huge. Absolutely. And I've observed that that in and of itself can often be a major intervention for patients. When I first started doing this research and I was invited to give a talk to a survivorship group, I was really worried because I was about to tell them that we'd found all this brain damage, but they were all so relieved because there was an explanation and they weren't being told that it wasn't possible or that it didn't exist. You know, they were exactly as you were being, as you said, were being validated for their experience. That makes perfect sense. And so what are some of those maybe tips or steps that survivors can do to improve their cognitive function and combat chemo brain? Well, I'd say the first thing is to realize that you're not alone. And this issue affects around 60% of patients. So three out of every five patients and also know, like we were discussing, it's a biological phenomenon. And research has shown there are measurable changes in the brain in patients who have undergone chemotherapy and other cancer treatments. Or if you're having cognitive symptoms, I recommend seeing a neurologist to rule out any underlying medical conditions that might be contributing, and also to first address any anxiety, depression, fatigue, or sleep disturbance that's going on, because we know those are very common after cancer. A lot of the same mechanisms like inflammation, oxidative stress, and injury to brain cells also cause those symptoms. And so they do tend to co-occur a lot. And then the, the patient can start dealing with any remaining cognitive issues. And unfortunately, right now, there isn't a specific evidence-based treatment for chemo brain, but the research does point to physical activity being very helpful. I know we hear this all the time. Physical activity helps with everything, but it really does. And I'll explain why. So aerobic exercise increases the number of brain cells that are produced, which is important, obviously, when the brain has been damaged and those cells have been lost. And exercise reduces inflammation and oxidative stress. So the three mechanisms that I mentioned that we believe cause chemo brain 
exercise can help with. It also helps with fatigue, anxiety, sleep, and mood. So it really can be very important for helping. And I know some patients have pain or other limitations where they can't just go out, you know, run a marathon. And that's not all what I'm saying. Going for a walk 20 minutes a day, even doing yoga and stretching has been found to be very beneficial for brain health. And another one that can be considered, especially if the person is experiencing a lot of fatigue as well as cognitive issues, I've seen a lot of patients benefit from just a short course of a stimulant medication. And so that's something to talk to your primary care physician or a neurologist about. And of course, you have to be careful because those can cause insomnia, but that has been very effective for some people, just getting them over that hump, so to speak, of, of having so much fatigue and cognitive issue. Some patients have shown benefit from doing cognitive exercises like computer games or other activities that challenge the mind. And I've seen that those have kind of a dual benefit, like they give you something to focus on. It helps you to feel like you're taking control of the situation. And it also does exercise your brain and it increases that cognitive reserve that I mentioned before. And there are also supportive strategies that you can do to help compensate for cognitive changes, like taking notes to help you remember things or using alerts and the calendar function on a smartphone or a tablet. And those can help you to cue and remind on keeping things in the same location if you tend to have trouble losing things, recording important conversations. You know, most people don't mind if you say, you know, I'm having trouble with my memory. Can I record this? Or paraphrasing what people are saying to you so that you make sure you understand. And also that helps with your memory. And sometimes with those supportive compensatory things, we have to first accept that we must approach cognitive tasks differently than we did before and grieve the loss of the old way of doing things. And that can be really difficult. And so some survivors might benefit from support groups or individual psychotherapy to discuss those losses because they kind of keep piling up when you're going through cancer. I really love that you said that, Dr. Kessler, because in my experience as someone who has gone through chemo and radiation, my memory and sharpness definitely felt like it was affected. And it felt like something I had to adjust to is like learning to adjust to having to take more notes and, and, and I had to learn to be okay with that. There was a lot of frustration when I reentered the workforce and yeah. having to take so many more notes in order to help move through that. But that makes sense that, yeah, you would have to take some time to, to grieve that you are no longer that same person that held that same kind of memory retention, perhaps. And I love that you spoke to that. Thank you. Yeah, I think we all have that. I mean, we're all going to go through some form of that, whether we have cancer or not, because it, some of that also occurs with aging. And it is hard to, to think, well, I used to just be so fast at this, and this is really annoying to have to make all these extra changes. But I also remind people that you, your brain has been hurt. It's been injured. And so you have to kind of take care of it a bit and, and give it a break. So if you think of, you know, what if you broke your arm, you wouldn't go out and start 
boxing or, or lifting weights with that arm straight away, you would damage it more. And your brain is the same. It needs some time to recover. And so you do have to give it a lot more support during that time and, and take the notes and, and do the recordings and do all the things that you just normally wouldn't have to do. And that's kind of like the cast on your brain, like a cast on your arm. We do have to let it have some time to recover. And for anyone listening today that might have more questions about chemo brain, what would you recommend to them? Well, I would see if there is a community-based cancer support center. I've found one in almost every city at least, and even some smaller areas. And that's a really great place to go and just have the support of that of people who are going through the same thing. Or you can probably find a survivorship program at the closest hospital or clinic, and they'll have a lot of resources on the late effects of cancer, including cognitive issues. There are some websites, a couple uh, that come to mind are American Cancer Association, the Mayo Clinic, Dana-Farber, um, some of the other major cancer centers have information about chemobrain on their websites. There are a couple of books, not many, unfortunately. I wrote one called Improving Cognitive Function After Cancer. It's a few years old now, for sure, but it still has some potentially useful information. And there are a couple of others as well that are available. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for that. And thank you so much for this wonderful conversation today. So to our listeners, I'm going to go ahead and post those links that Dr. Kessler just mentioned. I'll post those in the show notes along with her book and more about her and her work in the show notes. So thank you again, Dr. Kessler. Your work is invaluable. And thank you to our listeners for joining. So please take a moment to rate and review our podcast and taking this moment to rate, review and share this podcast with others can help us reach more people who can greatly benefit from our services. And make sure to subscribe as we have even more guided meditations and conversations with experts coming your way. Take care, everyone, and thank you.